Welcome to The Kicker. I'm Kyle Pope, editor and publisher of CJR. This week, who is going to pay for journalism? The question has been floating around now for months and years, really, as the uh, for-profit media business continues to shrink, and it's raised questions about what the role of citizens is, what the role of government is, what the role of platforms like Facebook and Twitter is, and it's all been sort of recast again in the last week in light of a report out of the UK called the Karen Cross Review, which looks at this question of the viability of of news. So we, I wanted to think through this and talk through this, and I'm joined this week by Matthew Ingram, who's CJR's chief digital writer. Welcome, Matthew. Thank you. What's interesting to me about this report is it does sort of put front and center um, two things. One, what should we do about Facebook especially and how it how it sort of serves news up to us? And two, what is what should governments both in the UK and then by extension in the US be doing if if uh, the viability of news as a profitable venture is is in question? Um, is was that that's was that part of what you thought was interesting about about the report as it was written? Yeah, I mean it's it's a just a massive sort of tangle of related questions. I mean it's and there is no easy answer. I mean I was talking with Emily Bell from the Tau Center about it on Twitter and I mean all there are are problematic answers. So right. you know, if you do nothing, that's a a huge problem. If the government funds journalism, that's a huge problem. If Facebook and Google continue to control the bulk of the way journalism pays for itself, that's a huge problem. Trying to determine which is the biggest or which is the worst or which is going to have the best outcome. It seems like the worst problem is leaving things as they are, right? Because this is not getting better and and news outlets are dying by the day. Right. And so if we do nothing, then that just continues. And so outlets stop publishing, period. Others, you know, cut back. I mean, we've seen even even the sort of digital superstars like BuzzFeed that were supposed to be the answer are cutting. And so there is no kind of, there's no shining light where we can say, oh, that's the solution. And if we just move towards that, that'll solve all our problems. Emily and I had a chat on on this podcast a few weeks ago, and, and, and she sort of, she's of the view that um, that journalism and capitalism may not go together. That, that in fact, you know, for, for real news that takes um, digging and time and money, um, we just may need some other um, infusion of money from the outside, whether it's from the government, whether it's from taxpayers or, or from nonprofits or from rich people or something. Um, was that sort? Was that sort of how the Karen Cross review came down as well? You know, if I can summarize a massive report in in two sentences, they they said this is a huge, huge problem. It's a systemic problem. It's not something get, that can get a sort of one time fix. And so, how do we structure a solution that can kind of work over time and build sustainability? And their conclusion was effectively the same, I think, as Emily's that that some form of government support is really the only the only stable option. I mean, you, you can obviously rich people can put up money and buy things and foundations can fund this or that, but those, those things aren't a kind of systemic solution 
they're not going to fund everything and they're not going to kind of that solution isn't going to exist over time. Billionaires change their minds and so on. Yeah, and I noticed that you, you hosted a sort of debate on Galley, which is the CJR um, engagement app, which we'll talk about more later. But, um, I mean, the other point of view, I guess, is is what? That, like, we can we can talk about this as long as we want, and we can have a lot of interesting philosophical discussions, but it's actually never going to happen. So let's let's not waste our breath. So that was kind of Josh Marshall's point from Talking Points Memo, was his his initial response was, Sure, we can talk about that if you want, but there's zero chance that that's ever going to happen in the U.S. And and when he elaborated on that, what he was saying was, it's not only is it probably never going to happen, but it would be really bad if it did happen. And so his argument was kind of taking up time and resources and oxygen discussing this thing is probably not going to help because we should be working on figuring out real solutions, that this isn't a real solution. And and, and, and the core of, of his view, I mean, we don't want to speak for him, and people can go on Galley and read read the exchange, but it's basically like, you know, um, having government intervention means also some form of government control. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, anyone who's kind of nervous about government funding, that's what it comes down to, is that there is going to be you know, people, entities don't just provide money and there's no strings attached. And certainly government is not known for doing that. So sort of like, what, what, do, do we want Donald Trump controlling the purse strings of the news media? <laughs> yeah, no, really. Exactly. I mean, that's that's sort yeah, of where exactly. this goes exactly. at some point, right? And I think, so Emily's response was, you know, in totalitarian regimes or those close to it, there are going to be people controlling the media anyway, whether it's Rupert Murdoch or, you know, Donald Trump by proxy or, and so that's kind of going to happen anyway. And so the question of whether government funding is useful or not is to some extent separate from that, um, which I'm not sure I'm entirely convinced of that. I, I'm, and I guess we, what, what we have to think about is, are the strings that government is going to attach to that money worse or better than the strings that rich people attach to their money or foundations attach to their money or Facebook and Google attach to their money. I mean, I wrote a whole feature for CJR about funding from Facebook and Google and how problematic that is. And and lots of people, I think, are, are just saying, well, look, they're giving us money to do journalism. So how could that be bad? Yeah. So where do you fall on the um, on the um, government, no government spectrum question? <laughs> I am firmly uh, on the fence. I, <laughs> as so a good as a good Canadian, actually. <laughs> I mean, I, I I feel the same as Emily in a way. I mean, there's nothing there are nothing but problematic solutions. And I, I wish, you know, in, a, in an ideal world, we would have enough individuals who wanted to support hard-hitting investigative journalism that everyone could pursue a ProPublica model or a Texas Tribune model or a sort of, you know, single-person investigative journalist funded by Kickstarter model. But I just, I don't, so those things do work, but I'm not convinced that that's a solution to the entire, you know, a systemic solution, the entire problems that journalism is Facing. So then if government funding does become 
a reality, then I guess we have to think about, well, how do we do it? Are there ways to do it that minimize the risk of strings and, and you know, un, undue influence? Could the, the Karen Cross report was noteworthy because of how much time was put into it and the language was, was particularly strong. And we'll get to Facebook in a second. But um, but there there was also there was a ring of familiarity to the whole thing, especially on this government question. I mean, it's been bandied around a lot, a lot more in Europe than in the U.S., but even here it's been bandied around. Do you have any sense of whether people who don't have jobs that require them to think about this are at all tuned into this question? So my sense would be no. Um, I don't think it's even like in the top 10 of things that people are worried about. Mm -hmm. I think sort of civilians, as I like to call them, non-media types are, you know, they're concerned. I call them people with real jobs is what we call them. They're concerned about their jobs. They're concerned about the economy. They're concerned about Trump. Maybe they're concerned about, um, I don't, I don't feel like sort of the sustainability of journalism is something they think about a lot. Um, which is not surprising. It's a, you know, it's not something non-journalists probably think about. I totally agree with you, but I think until that changes, this is gonna this is gonna be a purely uh, theoretical academic discussion. You know what I mean? I mean, uh, until there's some uh, segment of the population that cares about this, which who can then communicate this concern to mm-hmm. elected officials or to regulators or to whoever. This is this isn't going to move anywhere. Yeah, I would agree with you. And the, there are not going to be obvious, visible, tangible effects on individuals to the extent that they're going to say, "Hey, what what the hell? I should probably figure out a new funding mechanism for journalism." Right? They're not even the effects that we could argue are going to come from the problems that exist. It's going to be difficult for people to tie that to to the problem that we're talking about. Like, it's not going to be intuitive for them to say, this is a problem that relates to the funding of journalism. Yeah. So I think probably the most headline-grabbing part of this report was its assessment of the role of Facebook and Twitter and Google, but really Facebook. Um, what did you find in all of that, um, both both the the way that the issue was framed or in the solutions that was that was that was new? So I didn't actually find uh, a whole lot that was new. These are things that we have been talking about for some time. And it, you know, it was nice to see it all laid out and to see it sort of expressed in an aggressive way, like this needs to be done and this needs to be done. But it doesn't actually, I mean, the solutions sound great. We should have a regulator who decides you know, who mediates between publishers and Facebook and Google. I mean, that's probably or maybe a good idea, but it's hugely problematic to execute. Who is going to to do that? How are you going to convince Google and Facebook to even agree to do it? Are you going to force them by law? Are you going to change the laws? Are you going to institute new laws? Um, What if there's a regulator that somehow manages whether they're publishing or distributing fake news. Are they going to somehow get access to the Facebook algorithm? Are they going to force Facebook to, you know, to to install editors who then decide whether something is true or false? It was, it's one thing for a, um, a, a UK sort of blue ribbon 
review, which is what this was, to recommend this sort of thing. Do you for, do you see any world in which this could get any traction in the U.S.? I would have said a flat no a few years ago, but I honestly, I mean, I know there are sort of factions within Congress that are that I think are probably pretty close to recommending this type of thing. Uh-huh. I just don't know whether they're they would be able to get any broad traction. I know that they're, you know, Mark Warner has has recommended all sorts of things in white papers that and discussion papers that are very similar. Elizabeth there's Warren no, has been outspoken on this stuff. Yeah, and so but there's no real sense that they have anyone behind them or that there's any kind of momentum. I mean, it feels uh, it feels and if we if we aren't there now, like after all the things we've seen related to Facebook's impact on the election and all and fake news and so on, if there if there isn't any momentum for that now, what then what would it take for there to be some? Mm-hmm. And it seems like the stance of Facebook is to just sort of wait it out. So what is what does this all add up to in terms of this profession that we're in? Um, <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, there there does seem to be this kind of growing consensus that this just isn't going to work um, pending some additional injection of money. And the source of that additional injection is not at all clear. Yeah. And I mean, there's there's a sort of real bifurcation, it seems, of of the model where if you're tiny and you can be supported by, you know, a few thousand people, you're probably going to be able to figure out how to make that work. And if you're massive, like the New York Times, and you have this global brand, and then you'll probably be able to figure out how to make that work. But that there's this whole middle section, you know, sort of medium-sized metro papers and I just don't know what the future of that looks like. Like you're not big enough to do a New York Times type of thing, but you're not local enough or small enough to survive on on pennies from readers. So then what do you do? Um, so Karen Cross was only one bit of news about journalism and the platforms out of the UK. There was also a parliamentary report that came out that was even more strongly worded Um that I think did actually get some people's attention here, calling Facebook digital gangsters, and then, and actually, and then I remember um, I, I read it this morning. It, it it sort of described Mark Zuckerberg's view towards this, um, to, both towards the process and also just towards the problem. And and I, it used it said he had contempt for for offering some kind of solution. Right? Was that the was that the context of that? Yeah, they were very critical in part because he has kind of spurned, you know, the UK government effectively. Like they keep asking him to come and talk to them and talk to various committees, and he just keeps saying no and sending, uh, you know, subordinates. And so there was. So what's going to happen? What's going to happen when Zuckerberg shows up, wants to go um, on vacation, and shows up in the UK? I mean, is he? <laughs> no, is he, is he like? Um, is he going to be dragged before Parliament? Is, is so there... technically he could be. I mean, technically. So Damien <laughs> Collins, the, the guy who ran this parliamentary committee, has effectively said that he feels if Mark Zuckerberg goes to the UK, then he could be compelled to, by an order in the House of Commons, to appear 
before Parliament. I love that idea. <laughs> I love the idea I of mean, having Mark sort of in his, um, he's got one of those like uh, pillow things around his neck um, from the long flight because I'm sure he flies coach. Um, and then him sort of dragged right down to Whitehall. And I mean, this is not out of the realm of possibility. I mean, Damien Collins is the guy who used, who sent the sergeant at arms to to a U.S. businessman's hotel. You know, this is the guy who usually holds the staff or the rod or whatever they call it and uh-huh. and, and wears a weird uniform. And he went to grab this guy and basically drag him to Parliament right. so that they could seize his email. So theoretically, it is possible. It would be a pretty big move like that would take some cojones if you will to 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 drag you know the ceo of this giant company into parliament against his will but it's certainly not out of the realm of possibility well let's hope so um so i <laughs> mentioned great tv let's put it that way i mentioned um earlier that a lot of these discussions have been happening on galley which is a um which is a um which is an app for for conversations about journalism that um that we launched a few months ago and that I think has been doing and and Matthew has been sort of shepherding this and has been doing an amazing job of like bringing in really fascinating people to have these conversations and sort of creating threads um for both for resources for people and for conversations that don't really have a place on places like Twitter because one because the format is so short but also because the climate, it can be nasty and ugly. And, and so I thought, and, and I promise this isn't just going to be an infomercial for Galley. I just I do think there's some interesting stuff that um, Galley kind of raises. And we're joined uh, by Josh Young. Josh, are you there? Mm-hmm. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Josh is the um, the technical genius behind Galley. Um Right, who's been working on this? Um, Galley had a life um, before it came to CJR as its own standalone app, and then um, CJR brought it under its wing last year. Um, so, talk me through like what you were thinking when you were sort of drawing this thing up. Uh, yeah, I'd love to. So, I think that um, uh, places like uh, Facebook or Twitter uh, have um, designs that result from uh, business decisions, business strategies that those companies need to make. And um, that means that the kinds of uh, media and conversations that happen in those places uh, tend to support those um, business strategies. It's, um, I look around on the Internet and I see all of this amazing software um, that is helping people connect and talk and accomplish um, projects together and collaborate, but I don't see software that's specifically designed very well to uh, place journalism at the center of its ability to support and convene really healthy, safe conversations. So I set out to build something that supports that. Well, and this was all sort of played out hilariously in this conversation that Kara Swisher, who's now at the Times, had with Jack Dorsey at Twitter, in which they were supposed to have a conversation, right, about Twitter. And it ended up being such a shit show, um, both technically in terms of it was incredibly difficult to follow the thread of the conversation, but also just like people weighing in and sort of 
coming in and undercutting their argument and sort of trying to get them off on all kinds of random side threads. And it, I, I thought it was like it was it was like a perfect illustration of why this doesn't work if you really want to have have a conversation that's not sort of a, a stream of sort of one liners. Yeah, I mean, Twitter's tw- one of the reasons Twitter has been successful is that it's really good at um, forcing the collision of uh, human beings and doing that as much as possible, right? This is what it means to optimize for engagement. And optimizing for engagement is different from optimizing for healthy, productive conversations. So right. that's exactly what you see. Right. Well, what stuck out to you in terms of what you've seen um, of Galley since 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 it's been affiliated with CJR that you've been particularly hopeful about or that you thought was particularly illuminating? Uh, the story doesn't necessarily have to be about the software. Like my goal is just to like quite literally to support Matthew to have conversations with really interesting people. So um, I think all the credit goes to Matthew. I mean, his uh, sort of just intuitive ability to um, find something interesting, whether it's a news article or, a, or an emerging conversation on Twitter, um, put a frame around it on Galley that's conducive to having a healthy conversation about it, attract um, relevant, important people to joining that conversation, um, and then kind of manage a little bit of the noise that um, can, can, um, can creep in has been just really, really impressive. Like, I really appreciate your, your work on this and the work Matthew's done, and I encourage everybody to go to, to Galley and check it out. Um, thanks to both of you for being on this week. Um, next week, we begin the rollout of our new print issue, which is, um, which is looking at how others see journalism, so it's sort of journalism from the outside. Um, it's called The Perception Issue. There's a lot of great stuff in it, and you'll be hearing about it starting next week. Um, that's it for now. Thanks so much.